0: In Luke 19, we have a great example of some people who gave when really it was very difficult to give. They let their worship be greater and supersede their situation, the organization. They were just really there when everything around them seemed to say, listen, you can't do that here. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Luke chapter 19 is a story. Of the triumphal entry, it's the only time that Jesus Christ permitted a public demonstration of worship on his behalf. Did you know that? Most of the time, there was a, he encouraged them not to tell anyone, or he would sometimes disappear from their midst. Here's the only time that he permitted a public display of, of, of worship on his behalf. And I think this is very interesting because there's two key words to understanding this. This is somewhat of of an official coming of Jesus. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at verse 38 of chapter 19 in the book of Luke. Important word here. The disciples said this very joyfully. Look what he said. Look what they said in verse 38. Blessed is the king who what? Say it with me. Comes in the name of the Lord. This was somewhat of, of an official coming. He was making his entrance into Jerusalem. Now, when this happened. There were two responses. They could either worship him at his coming, or they could do what the next text says. Look at verse. Uh, look about verse forty-four. I was going to jump into a phrase here. It says here that they did not recognize the time of what God's coming to you. You see that? So there were two responses. The disciples when they, when he came. Man, they rejoiced and they were joyfully praising God. But the the religious leaders, the Pharisees were like, hey, 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 who do you think you are? Because they did not recognize his coming. So I want you to circle these two words. I'll show up behind me here. Two words I want you to focus on. We'll go to that slide there that has the two verses. Circle the word comes in 37 and 38. And then circle the word coming in verse 44. And then while you're doing that, I want to explain something to you that When we worship, watch this now, it is a response to God's coming to us. Perhaps not officially in the sense of a triumphal entry. Perhaps not in the sense of his birth as in Christmas. But when Christ makes his presence known, like when we gather together and he's here, will we recognize that he is here, that he has, quote unquote, come to us? That's when worship really kicks in. In fact, I would say to you that based on this passage, and I'm going to explain a little more in detail in a minute, you can do one of two things when Christ comes to you. Worship can start up or walls can go up. In this text, both happened, didn't they? He made his triumphal entry. He had come. He was there. And what did the disciples do? They recognized and said, blessed is he who comes. And what did the Pharisees do? Who do you think you are? And then he went on to judge them and pronounce a, a judgment upon them. And he said, this happens because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This morning, one of two things happened and is happening even now. Listen, church. Worship is going up, starting up, or walls are going up. The Holy Spirit's moving in and out of these aisles. He's moving in your heart. He's bringing conviction as He is in my heart. And we just say, wait, wait, I don't want to hear that from God right now. I don't want to talk about that right now. But God is slowly, gently, and as a great shepherd, coming to us and and wanting a response from us. And what is our response? Worship or walls? Can we look at these responses a, a little more in depth here. Look at nineteen twenty-eight through 30. Let's read these, these verses and think about these two words, worship and walls. The Bible says that he went up on ahead, going to Jerusalem and as he approached Bethphage and, and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. Which no one has ever ridden. That's neat, isn't it? You know, I think about that, that In the Old Testament, when they would sacrifice a lamb, it had to be a lamb what without blemish, without any impurity. Here's a a colt, also called a donkey, uh, in this situation that that he asked for one that had never been ridden. Very similar to what happened in the Old Testament. A lamb without blemish. He wanted a colt that had never been touched by humans. He wanted one that he could ride for the very first time. And apparently, there's kind of a, a, a code language here that, they had perhaps done ahead of time. He says, if you get there and basically they don't know why you're untying the colt, you tell them the Lord needs it. And that would have been key to the owner. It would have been kind of like code language. Hey, Jesus needs this colt. So that happened. They went there and they were asking. they said the Lord needs it. Verse 34. And so they brought it to Jesus. Now, watch this. Then they threw their cloaks on the colt. That's an interesting saddle. So they got rid of what they had. They must have been carrying cloaks, had stuff on them. They made a saddle for Jesus out of what they had. There's that giving. And it says they put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And based on other uh, translations of this in the Gospels, we know they had palm branches and they waved them. Now, what I like about this is they didn't have anything official for this triumphal entry. They just had whatever they could find on them and, and with them. And yet that was the most precious part about this scene. They worshipped with what they had. Isn't that cool? We'll talk more in a minute about that. But that was great. They just made, their, made a saddle out of their coats. They used some of their cloaks for the uh, pavement. They grabbed some branches and waved. And then they said, Blessed is, he who, is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And peace in heaven and glory in the highest. By the way, verse 38 is, a, is almost the opposite of when He came at His birth. What did they say at His birth? They said, Peace on where? Peace on earth. But when the Jews, the nation of Israel, rejected the Lord, I'm going to be frank with you here. The peace on earth was absent. And he said in the same text, he said, you know, the kingdom of God is now in your hearts. So there's peace in heaven and we can be at peace with God. But there will be no peace on earth until that time when he brings final justice, as we talked about earlier text. That's interesting that, that they said that. There, there, and he's, we're going to read in a minute when A.D. 70 comes and the temple's destroyed and Jerusalem's overtaken and besieged. Was, there was no peace then, was there? But thankfully, there is peace in heaven. Christ makes things right between God and man when He died on the cross. And this is real prophetic words here. And so we see that in this first few verses, worship went up. It started up. It was celebrated. It was spontaneous. It was sacrificial. Lots of things in these verses tell us about how we can worship. And I love the phrase, the whole crowd of disciples... Begin joyfully to praise God. And that's awesome. would you love to have been there? I mean, there was no hush, hush. There was no, you're out of line. Or that's too loud. Or It was like, hey, the whole bunch of you, man, just get joyful and excited for God. I like that verse. And I like the last phrase. They did it as a response for the miracles they had seen. You know what worship is when we gather on Sunday mornings? It should be a, a final eruption of what you've been doing all week. And when we gather all together. Based on what you've seen God do the previous six days. You ought to come together. You're sitting shoulders over the Chris And Joyce is here and me saying like, Hey, guess what God did for me? And, and man, that's great. What God did for you. Isn't God so awesome? And suddenly we find ourselves joyfully praising God. For all that we had seen the past week. And if that's going on. If we're worshiping Monday, Tuesday through Saturday. I'll tell you something. You couldn't stop a joyful celebration on Sunday. And I do believe one of the reasons a lot of churches struggle in this area of corporate worship is because very few people do it Monday through Saturday. But they sure want the church to kind of manufacture it on Sunday. Can I just be real honest and bold with you here? You've got to worship Monday through Saturday. Man, you've got to get your hands to God when you're driving. Keep one on the wheel. Put one in the air. Man, you've got to, at your supper table, at your breakfast table, when you're laying in bed with your wife, when you're down in the basement, when you're at the job... You've got to have an attitude, a lifestyle of worship. You know why? Because Sunday matters. It's the one time of the week that we really ask you to show up. God has come. He's here. He is here right now. Holy God and the presence of the Spirit is is among us. Why wouldn't worship start up? When I think about all that happened last week, and when when that's our attitude, man, Sunday becomes like a volcano in the life of the church. And it just erupts. You couldn't stop it. But I'll tell you, you couldn't manufacture it. If it's the only time of the week you start thinking about, oh yeah, we got to go to church, and that's right, man. What is that song we sang? I didn't know that song last week. I, um, and then they, we stand forever. It seems like at that church. And then Todd speaks forever. And and man, you know, sometimes the sound is weird, and it's like man, it goes in and out. It's like man, you know, you know what? You could bring Matt Redmond here himself. He couldn't get your heart to worship or mine. But when we're worshiping Monday through Saturday and we're giving just whatever we have, cloaks, branches, man, you, not even the gates of hell can stop the church from worshiping when it's that way. And I'm telling you something. That's so what I pray for every, every week in life of this church is a church that is just erupting and erupting in joyful praise to God. Not with a giddiness. We're not looking for that. But with an honest uh, response to all that He has done. That's different than what happened next. Look at verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Rebuke your disciples. I love verse 40. He replied, I tell you, if they keep quiet, if they listen to you, the stones will cry out. In other words, I think he was saying a couple of things here. One is, guys, you're not going to get quiet no matter what you do. If you make them be quiet, the stones will will rock out. You know. So the Pharisees won't get their way no matter what. But the point is this, guys. I praise is just unstoppable. Well, he approaches Jerusalem, and suddenly, look at this. Look at this. It's interesting. It's interesting text. He begins to weep. You wouldn't think that there'd be tears on the hills. Of an awesome celebration. But Christ begins to weep. And here's why. He says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Yeah, there would have been peace on earth that they would have only known. What is it they missed? They missed that he was the Messiah. But now it is hidden from your eyes. And the point of that text is from this point on it is hidden from your eyes. From now on and it's hidden. And here's what we know is impartial blindness as Paul taught us. They do not recognize that Christ was the Messiah. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. Why, wow, if you ever think it's not crucial that you worship, just if you don't think it's critical that you recognize that Christ has come, He demands my worship, think about the nation of Israel. In A.D. 70, they were besieged and hemmed in, their city taken over and their temple destroyed, all because when Christ came, they said, hey... We're not worshiping you. I mean, it is very critical that we recognize that Christ has come, that he is here and that we worship. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And this is not a Christ is not sarcastically, you know, damning them. Remember that Oh, this opened with him weeping. Don't you love the the picture of our Savior? He cries. It breaks his heart when his people don't worship, when they don't recognize him this morning. If you're sitting there with a cold heart, if you just kind of plodded through our, our, our worship in song, if, 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 if even now you're like, ah, yeah, whatever, Todd, you know what? Christ weeps over your lack of response in worship to him. It breaks his heart when his children throw up walls. Instead of start of worship. In fact, I want to kind of word it that way. Will you read this with me? You know, we like to put things in simple sentences. We like for you to say it with us. I want you to go back a little bit, Deb, to the previous slide. Let's just kind of look at it this way, where it said worship either starts up or walls go up. I want you to read this with me. Here we go. Ready? When Jesus shows up, worship starts up or walls go up. That happens every time. There's no middle ground. There's no neutrality. What did Christ say in several previous parables and teachings that if you're not with me, you're against me. And he laid the groundwork. There's no neutrality. And so here this morning, as Christ is here, as he's showing up in your life and no doubt shining the flashlight in various corners, exposing weaknesses and perhaps exposing needs as he does in my life. Even this morning, I mean, I'm in the same boat you are. Yes, I'm talking, but I I get convicted. Then God points out things to me this morning. Uh, we were getting ready. Our toilet overflowed in our basement. So I'm like, well, thanks, God. You know, I'm trying to get there early. Now I've got to deal with this mess. And the Lord just said, wow, what an opportunity for you to, to do something before you go to church and worship me. I'm like, worship you while mopping up water, you know. And I got really convicted that my response was just really unbiblical. And everything gives thanks. This is the will of God. And you know what? Last time I checked, an overflowed toilet is everything. I mean, I, th- I think anything that happens is part of that verse, isn't it? And everything gets things. So I just thought, you know what, God? I was wrong about that. So I just got some towels out and a mop, and I said, Lord, thank you for this wet basement. This is awesome. And I just tried to sing, and it was early. and But you know what? I'm in the same boat you are. Either walls go up or, or worship starts up. What's happening in your heart right now? Are you part of the disciples that are joyfully praising, or are you part of the Pharisees? Hey, be quiet. Man, I want our church to be with the disciples, joyfully praising God for all the miracles they had seen. Now, I want to show you a couple of symbols here that, that kind of illustrate this principle. First of all, there's a, a brick. So this week, when God comes to you, and He will, His Spirit is within you and He will speak to you. And he's, you know, God's not a mute and He's not deaf. He talks to his children. And there are times he will convict you. and He'll relay. And he'll say, hey, what's going on here? And if you throw up bricks, hey, God, I'm not listening. You pile another brick on. This is not a good way to recognize God's coming to you. Here's a better way. I'll leave that right there, shall yeah. Is to have your cup up. You know, if, if I were coming to Joyce and I was going to give Joyce a, something or a cup... If she held it down like this, she would receive nothing, would she? But if she holds her cup up, she can receive blessings. Last time I checked, bricks never held anything. Well, oh, they may hold something up, like a wall, but you can't pour it into a brick. This morning, the ushers are giving you a small little cup. I'm going to just quickly tell you some things in the, from this text that happened because the people there had their cup up. But I want you to take this cup and I want you to put it somewhere this week. You can write on it. I wrote on mine, cup up. You know, maybe I'll set this by my survival kit on our table and I'll just set it there. and, And my kids are obviously in the kids ministries and a lot of yours are. But I'll talk to our kids this week. You and I will about what it means to have a cup up mentality. So that when Christ shows up, when Jesus comes and he's at our home, we're not like, hey, good to see you, Lord. Don't pour any blessings here. Don't, you know, we're not into that. You know, I noticed this week, too, if you took a lot of these and you stacked them up kind of like this, you could build a wall out of that, too. I mean, the truth is, there's just nothing good about your cup being down. But when your cup is up and worship just becomes a way of life, I mean, Christ can fill it. And what I love about this is if your cup is up, you know, it overflows. And guess who benefits? I mean, people around you, like I'm sitting here in Joyce and we're worshiping and my cup just gets really full, overflows on the joists. That's, that's, that's awesome. She benefits. It's okay if your cup gets full and spills. It's not in my basement. You're okay there, you know. Just just let this thing overflow. Here, guys, here's the point. The, the disciples in this text were cup-up people. The Pharisees were bricklayers. Hey, keep quiet! Wham! Keep quiet! Wham! Don't do that! Wham! And you know what? They're building walls, and suddenly, I'm sure, at some point, they're like, Hey! Who is that trying to get us to worship? They couldn't even see it was Jesus. They'd thrown so many walls up. But man, the Jewish people, those are disciples. we are like cup-up people. And no matter what happened, they let their cup be full and it just brought about worship from their hearts. Now, I want to show you just real quickly three things about this text that will apply to this cup. So I want you to hold your cup with you and... Just uh, keep it handy because I want to show you some interesting observations. I'll do this kind of quickly. First of all, they were able to be cup up kind of people. They worshiped. They let their worship start up even though there were inferior resources. OK, now you got to kind of hold your cup with one hand right with the other hand. Take some good notes here. I love this part of the text. I, I just thought all week, you know what? We would fit into this triumphal entry. Our church would I mean they didn't have official saddles. They didn't have official banners. You know, the Palmish were really kind of like the banner idea. A lot of times kings would ride in. And by the way, kings never rode donkeys or colts. They rode, you know, massive horses. They were the warriors. But you know what Christ rode? is this animal of peace. There's a lot of symbolism here. The Jews wanted some warrior riding in on some stallion making things right. But he rode a small little animal, which is known as an animal of peace. And everything about this was like, you know what? I don't have to have everything perfect. I don't have to have the best in the sense of like the perfect stallion and and the exact banners and the crown. He just let worship happen even though there were inferior resources. People's coats, their cloaks, man, dirt road, and they threw their coats for pavement, a saddle made out of their t-shirts. I mean, who knows? It wasn't what you thought about what happened for a king. But worship broke out anyway. And I tell you something, when I think about that, man, where we meet... And those location issues don't bother me at all. Man, put us in the pasture. Just don't take the Holy Spirit from us. Amen. Don't remove God's presence. If He stops coming to us, that's when we're in trouble. But man, if we can meet at Parkview. We'll be back at ACA at some point. Uh, I do want to let you know a couple of things about that move. We're probably looking at probably somewhere in December or January. It could be a lot longer than that. I'm afraid to even say for sure when. But I'll just tell you that it could be longer than we thought. So let's just keep our attitudes right and let's just be content. Um, I do agree that sometimes even the best of sheep need a little green pasture and rest. And so we're working on how we can make that happen. So we're not we don't want to burn anybody out, you or me or anybody. But uh, this is a situation kind of out of our control. We have to meet somewhere and we're working on that even while we speak. We've looked at a number of places. But you know what? Maybe what God's doing in that is teaching us that this is what matters most. You know, and if, if we can learn between now and whenever, you know, God gives us a building on our land, if we can learn to worship in spite of what's around us, man, then we get inside that building. It ought to be just like I said earlier, it ought to be just kicking, man. It ought to be awesome. What a raise the roof in that place. Right now, just to let you know, we are working on the land and we are working on the building. In fact, we've already had some folks draw up plans for the building and I've got pictures of them They're, they're actually They're edible. Uh, but a lot of you drew up plans for our very first church. Now, before we show that, I'm going to read you one action point. Knowing this, I want you to say this last phrase with me. Ready? I won't let what I have or don't have prohibit my worship. Amen. Let's just make that commitment together. We're just not going to let our surroundings or our possessions affect how we worship. Now, now look at some plans some folks drew up. I'm going to walk you through some lighthouses. They're in alphabetical order. I don't have every We just got the pictures we had. McConnell sent one in and we just could not seem to get it to work. Shalene. I don't know what happened. We couldn't get it transferred to the right kind of format. And I apologize for that. But here's some uh, edible churches that our small groups did in the past week or so. And they're really awesome. And they were really good. If you're not in a small group, man, you're missing out. Not just on some more in-depth teaching and accountability, but, man, some good snacks. Here's one by the Anderson Lighthouse. Um, we will kind of move these kind of quickly. Here's the Ankeny. West Des Moines Waukee Lighthouse. And boy, don't you love that tag on the left? That's pretty good, you know. They got little walls and the big marquee. Here's the Hostess Lighthouse. Um, a little flat roof action. Had some leaks there, but we'll be okay. And I like the pond there. Uh, there's the Lamb Lighthouse. Um, there's the Lifesavers Lighthouse. I was kidding them this week that I think that's actually going to be our first Montana satellite. That's what they they got plans for that. Kind of a log cabin, outdoorsy look. Uh, here's the Lazada Lighthouse. And uh, these are different churches. Here's the Newcomers Lighthouse. Um, here's the Z Lighthouse, our last one here. They got more of a tall kind. and There's people. So, you know, it's just neat to see that that even while we're in temporary situations. You can rest assured that people are thinking, what's it going to be like one day? You know, as we think about that, don't think that we can't worship till then. Amen. Put your cup up now. And no matter where we are, we can worship. God can meet us wherever we are. Isn't that true? It doesn't matter if our resources are inferior. We can worship. Something else I noticed about the text here, too. Worship started up even though there was external pressure. Just jot that down, would you? There was external pressure. Now... If you're wondering what the external pressure was, just be aware that you spell that and you say it Pharisees. They were trying to stop Jesus. In fact, previous and other accounts of the Gospels, they had put out a word that said this. If you worship Christ, if you lay claim to him, if you follow him, we're going to kill you because we're out to kill Jesus. Probably about this is the last week of Christ's life, starting with this triumphal entry. And more than likely, the uh, ruling elders of Jerusalem, those those legal people were trying to already work with uh, uh, Judas and establish some kind of betrayal system. We're only seven, six, seven days away from the crucifixion in this, where we are in Luke. So if you think that they were just kind of like, well, we'll see what happens, I mean, they were already plotting to get rid of him and his followers. That's a lot of pressure. And see, as he as he rides into town, that's very that's evident. They knew that. And so did they say this? They say, well. They're watching us. The government's watching us. There's a lot of pressure. You know, I don't think I want to say too much. Did that happen? No. Man, the disciples joyfully broke out. I don't know what kind of pressure you're facing. I don't know if there's a trial in your life that makes you want to do this. But can I share with you that even with external pressure, we can worship. In fact, I've come to believe that Some of our best worship is in times when there's pressure. Just ask our brothers and sisters in third world countries that face martyrdom on a weekly basis. You see, folks, it's uh, in Acts. You know, when the church really grew is when there was pressure. When there was persecution. And I wonder sometimes if when we pray for our church to grow, for people to come to Christ, I wonder if we really know what we're praying. Or we're praying for the screws to be tightened and we just don't even know it. When that happens, don't turn your cup like this. Let external pressure maybe be like the wind of an airplane that comes up under that and lifts it higher. You can worship even with pressure. I know a lot of your jobs are rough. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you live in families where there's an unbeliever, and that's very difficult for you. There's many people whose finances are just they're more than tight. I mean, they're almost non-existent. I can go from person to person, family to family. And there's there's illnesses, there's medical diagnoses, there's things that are happening. Don't let that drive you from God. Keep your cup up and let it drive you to God. Amen. Notice something else. That their worship started up even though there was internal pain. I really like this one a lot too. Because as you read through the text, you realize that though the disciples weren't aware of what was going on, who was aware of where he was headed? Christ was. He knew he was headed where? To the cross. But notice this, guys. Notice this. is very interesting. Even though he knew this was not the triumphal entry of a king going to take a throne, he knew that they weren't aware of that. He let it happen anyway. He kind of stepped aside from his own pain. The garden is just what? Three days away, four or five days away? When he would cry out to his father, Let this cup pass from me. There is extreme pain in the heart of Jesus. And yet, with all of that pain, he allowed the worship to continue uninterrupted. Now I want to say to you you can worship even when there is internal pain. Hurt from your past. A conversation didn't go well at home. A parent didn't treat you right years ago. I mean, there's all kinds of issues that people bring into church. You know what? A lot of times we let it interfere with our worship. I have a better suggestion. We should let it immerse us in worship. And even with pressure and pain, we can live a cup-up kind of life. You need proof positive. Think about Job. Job had every one of these things happen with him. Job had inferior resources. He lost all of his property, all of his cattle, all of his children. He lost everything. And he was sitting in a pile of ashes in just sackcloth. What a worship posture. There was external pressure. They had three names to him, his friends. And they were like, Job, you have messed up, dude. Man, God wouldn't do to somebody that, that was really doing right. So he had the pressure of his friends coming down on him. He had the resource factor really affected him. Nothing at all to his name to give. And then he had internal pain. Most of Job was about Job's own conversation with God saying, Hey, how can this happen if you're who you say you are? Can we kind of talk this out? All three of these were going on. And yet, what did Job say in Job 121? He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Say it with me. But blessed be the name of the Lord. That is a cup up life. And I admonish you this morning. With all of the pressure and pain and even with your inferior resources in mind as well. Let us not live a life that refuses to give God worship. Let us turn our hearts toward God. Open them up and say, Lord, fill my cup and then let that overflow and just let, me, let our hearts praise our great God. In spite of what is around us, what is within us, and what we have or don't have. By the way, this coming I talked to you about is strikingly similar to his first coming. As a baby, he came and there was uh, inferior resources, weren't there? A stable, a manger... There was no room I mean, in the end. There was external pressure. Remember like Herod was trying to like kill every child to and below. That's some pressure, isn't it? And there was internal pain. Mary and Joseph weren't even officially married, but they're pregnant. And yet at his coming, worship happened. The wise men, the shepherds all came to the manger and just bowed down to the king of kings. Isn't that awesome? By the way, his final coming will be very similar there will be a, a lack of resources. Read the Revelation. I Man, there will be famine. There will be persecution. It will be awful. The world will be allied against Israel. You'll have to have a mark here or a mark here to even get something. If you don't take it, they'll be out to get you. That's pressure. There's inter- I mean, internal pain because we know that the martyr's blood cries out to God at the end. He says, How long, Lord, till you come? I mean, It's amazing to me that in this coming, as in his first coming and his final coming, there are similar situations. And yet, in all three, watch this church, in all three, worship started up. At the final coming, the whole world will say, as Philippians 2 says, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that what? Jesus Christ is Lord. I think we take a simple lesson away from this. When Jesus comes, worship either starts up or walls go up. In fact, would you say that with me one more time? I'll show it behind me in case you don't know it exactly. But let's say it together. When Jesus shows up, walls go up. Excuse me. Worship starts up or walls go up. I admonish you today to live a cup up kind of life. Let Jesus be the what drives you to always open up your life. Be like the disciples in Luke 19. Let Him fill it. In spite of what's around you, inside of you, or what you have or don't have. Hey, have fun with your cup this week, would you? Have a great week of worship. Let's pray.